0: Hello and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast where we share stories, insights and strategies that go beyond some of the numbers we encounter in our work life. I'm Susanne Echidon. I work with organisations who put people first. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't people who bring their full selves to work, and people who won't. And together with my guests, we place a lens on and focus in on the people side of work life. Because we know that it is people who do the work, not numbers. And if we are treated well, we will perform well, and might even generate better numbers.
1: To the latest episode of Life Beyond the Numbers. And today I am delighted to welcome Jonathan De Potter from Behold Retreats. Jonathan, you're welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers.
2: Thank you, Susan. It's a real pleasure to be here.
1: And you definitely have Life Beyond the Numbers because one of your top skills on your LinkedIn profile is financial modeling. but I don't think that has anything to do with what you do now, which we'll get into a little bit later. And psychedelics or the world of psychedelics is something that I know literally nothing about. And to prepare for this episode... I watched a Netflix documentary that features all sorts of comedians and musicians and you know artists talking about uh. psychedelics do and don't and never do this, don't look in the mirror, do look in the mirror. There's all of this kind of stuff that they talk about. But something I think it was Sting said really struck me because he said, if you see the world as part of you, you will treat it differently and you will have an enhanced ability to be in the world. Does that resonate with you, Jonathan?
2: Yes, absolutely. And I think in a broad sense, what Sting is alluding to is the nature of consciousness and the nature of our our being and our essence. And I think we live in a world where we are naturally led towards giving primacy to the outer world, right? So we've got all these amazing senses, we've got all this amazing stuff going on, maybe not as quite as many travel opportunities lately as we might usually have but still there's an abundance of stimulus in the outside world and so we tend to give primacy to that however i think that's the trick or that's the opportunity as it were and so what sting is relating to is that through these experiences whether it be expanded with plant medicine with psychedelics or through meditative practices or even breathwork practices other contemplative practices prayer to explore what's going on in the inner world begins to give us a very different perspective in the relationship between self and the outer world. And so what that's relating to is the elevation of consciousness. As we're able to develop our own understanding of what we are on the inside, then our understanding of the relationship between the inner world and the outer world begins to shift quite dramatically.
1: I don't, I mean, I know where to start because I have lots of questions, but for people that never thought about their inner world, Let's start there. What do you mean by the inner world? (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah sure. So a place I like to start is actually with some science, some facts, you know, like hard facts. Yeah. <laughs> so the national you may have heard me say this if you you listen to a few of the things that I've said but it's so compelling. So your typical westerner has between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts per day. This is science from the National Science Foundation. Pretty much a 100% of those thoughts are egoic thoughts, the I, me, my. 95% are repetitive and 85% are negative. So we think think all of the time only about ourselves the same things and mostly bad stuff and so the ego itself which is this is the illusion of the separate self linking this back to uh, Sting's point the illusion of the separate self is fundamentally fear-based and so we have lived through generations of intergenerational trauma, we are overwhelmed by modern complexity in the modern world and the uncertainty that we find ourselves in. And so at the moment, I think more than ever, there's a lot of fear. And there's an opportunity here for people to begin to unpack what's actually happening here in my inner world. And I don't think that Corona is a coincidence by any stretch of the imagination. I think we've reached a precipice, a a turning point for ourselves Individually and also collectively to recognize the primacy of the inner world and so whether it's through modalities like breathwork meditation, etc. When people start to become conscious of their limiting thought patterns and their limiting beliefs or say to sit through a 10 day meditation retreat they become quite alarmed actually by what's actually going on in the mind. Oh, I should have done this. Well, actually that's a negative self-judgment. something as harmless as that can actually really impact us. The other example that I sometimes give in relation to early childhood trauma, you know, most people they say, oh yeah, you know, I had pretty good parents, a few mistakes, but like it was pretty good. But many of those things, and many of us have been really traumatized, even by things that are perhaps what we might describe as minor infractions. So an example I sometimes give is, um, Imagine a a five-year-old child who's walking some groceries in with mom and mom's just had a long bad day and so the child drops a bag full of groceries and in that moment mom says you never get anything right just get out of the way now for a five-year-old that can really take hold in the subconscious mind the five-year-old doesn't really have the ability to filter that between mom at the end of a bad day and what is true and so then the next day the child gets the the ball at school during a game and uh, plays back oh you never get anything right just get out of the way so in that moment the child passes the ball and now She or he is on a pattern, right, in terms of the patterns of thinking about self. And that can fundamentally change the direction of a child and lead them down uh, a very fear-based and limiting life relative to who they truly are.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can imagine you're sitting in um, a meeting with your boss and you think, oh my God, we need to like fix this. But your message going on in your head is you never get anything right stay out of the way and so you don't raise it at all and nothing ever changes.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And often in relation to the boss, there's another dynamic here, which I think is interesting, which is people who find themselves in leadership positions are typically the most traumatized. And the reason for that is that they're the people who are most disconnected from their inner world. And so most require external validation to be made to feel whole, to be made to feel good enough. And so this is something that I would not have pictured five years ago, say, when I was trying to climb the the leadership ranks at uh, the prior uh, employer and and management consulting firm. But in essence, I very much see it now. And those are people who need external validation constantly because they're just disconnected from themselves.
1: So that's the traits that you need or the skills you need to become a leader is to be disconnected from yourself. Now, that is not (laughs) what I would be advocating for at all. So Bring us back then to that track that you were on, Jonathan. You know, you I mean, think you worked for Accenture and what happened?
2: Yeah, I was very blessed during my five years at Accenture. I had great mentorship across the organization. I was privileged to attend all sorts and facilitate all sorts of great trainings and learned a lot. It was pretty hard, pretty intensive. I was in the office most days by seven, I would leave maybe around 10, sometimes even later. And so doing that for a number of years, I climbed the ladder and uh, had more promotion opportunities ahead of me uh, that were being dangled. When they promised to promote me to partner, I realized, I don't think I'm going to be any happier if I get that promotion. So the next client, the next deal, whatever that next thing is, is not going to bring me incremental joy. So it has to sit somewhere else. I, you know, I, I don't think that I've maxed out in terms of joy in life. So it has to sit somewhere else. So I was an atheist at the time and I didn't believe or think that there might be a spiritual component to that, but I decided to take a year off. And as part of that, traveled through South America for most of that time and ultimately found my way to an ayahuasca retreat with a couple of buddies of mine in Peru, which was a very challenging, but also mind expanding and ultimately life-changing experience.
1: So ayahuasca is plant-based medicine or a psychedelic. So maybe you tell us a little bit about what psychedelics are and what
2: they do. Psychedelics is an interesting term because it's defined differently um, by different people who have different interests but broadly speaking what we're talking about in relation to psychedelics is those that have a neurogenerative effect so they can actually facilitate the growth of new neurons which we didn't believe to be possible until you know relatively recently second to that they are they facilitate an increase in neuroplasticity which is the interconnectivity across regions of the brain and this is particularly important because in the west i think to a large degree because we're just so over, so overwhelmed by complexity our brains have become highly patterned in terms of the neural pathways and that actually is doing damage to the very software of the brain because we're so overwhelmed we have to become patterned which is a kind of energy efficient, adaptive mechanism in response to all this complexity. You just can't meet the complexity on its terms. I think we all know that, right? Like with,
1: o- autopilot stuff.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So with the developments in web three over here and you know, crypto, what's tanking, and-, <laughs> crypto <laughs> and what's the latest Corona news, it just goes on and on. And you're just like, I can't, I can't possibly say so we develop patterns, of course. And so while that sounds positive, it's actually doing damage to the brain and so that, that overly patterned brain or compartmentalized brain is what can actually lead to incongruent thoughts existing within a single consciousness. So an example I give is a man, perhaps, who says he loves his wife and he's cheating on his wife. In a brain that's not compartmentalized, that won't happen because that's a single consciousness and it's actually consciousness is working against itself when we do this work. And when the brain begins to reconnect to itself in ways, there's a lot of dissonance. We identify a lot of opportunities where we can be more congruent with our true self because we've been holding perhaps these conflicting beliefs in our consciousness or indeed in our subconscious mind because we just don't have access to some of these things through everyday waking consciousness. Wow so 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 coming back to psychedelics so you know the ones that we we predominantly work with are psilocybin which is magic mushrooms ayahuasca which is a combination of two plants confusingly ayahuasca and chacruna um, and those are combined and that's a very complex medicine something like 463 molecules within ayahuasca so it doesn't quite fit the western model of medicine which is why it doesn't quite get the same attention that it deserves and it's also uh, you can't you know patent it and put a stick a label on it in the way that many commercial forces would would like to. Uh, And then the third that we work with is uh, 5-MeO-DMT, which is also known as the toad medicine. And that's generally recognized as four to six times more powerful even than ayahuasca. So incredibly powerful medicine, highly neurogenerative. During a breakthrough experience, it's quite common to experience complete non-duality, which is when reality itself breaks apart in front of us and we are joined to the universe. Tying this back to Sting and his quote, that's the sort of experience where I see people now as an individual piece of the universe, that's almost been like twisted off like a balloon, you know, those balloons that you get at a toy fair. So this is a very powerful medicine because it can show you, yes, indeed, you are one with the universe. And then our work is post-experience is we've been shown a light down the path. And our work is to begin to make the steps towards those states of consciousness without medicine. And so that's why these medicines are so powerful is they can show us what's possible in terms of our states of consciousness. But then ultimately, we have to begin the work ourselves. It's not that we want to become dependent on these medicines on these psychedelics.
1: Okay, that's really interesting. So you're not like, (laughs) I was never going to suggest this anyway, you're not trying to turn the world into drug addicts or become addicted to psychedelics. It's, it's a tool, essentially, to fast track the journey that you're on in a way to maybe reveal stuff to you that you wouldn't do on your own.
2: Yes, I think that's right. And I'm not even necessarily pro-psychedelics as such. I think it's a neutral tool. I think the tool is a perfect word for it. Because if you to look at, you know, a psychedelic community for the sake of conversation, it doesn't necessarily reflect the energy that you and I might aspire to. So it's not that necessarily you take a bunch of psychedelics, good things are going to happen. It's rather it's the it's the setting, it's the context, it's the intentionality, the way in which they are used and the guidance of facilitation, the healing expertise that sits around the experience. It makes the fundamental difference
1: okay intentionality is a great word and it's being used more and more for people to think about well what's your intention here and how can you show up with intention so with that if somebody were to go or decide that a be- behold retreat is for them what do they do how does it work where does the intention come from
2: Yeah, so I always encourage people to take the time and the energy to, number one, educate themselves, and number two, to really take the time and energy to develop their own intentionality in a very deep way, right? It's easy to go read a few articles or speak to a few friends and hear, oh, this is all really good. We actually had a a journalist come to one of our uh, retreats recently, and she had a very challenging time. And she was like, hey, this didn't match my expectations at all. And it just goes to show there's an increasing amount of commercial interest in this space. And so with that, there's a tendency to, shall we say, whitewash some of the, you know, kind of embellish the upside and reduce the downside. Say, hey, this is this, all the answers to the nature of the universe are here. This is what you want to do. And it's like, yeah, but that that is true to a degree. Well, the, the answers to all of these things are within you. This is a tool to amplify your sensitivity to some of those lower level energies that might be keeping you away from your t- true self, the shame, the guilt, the fear, the grief, the apathy. Um- But it's very important that people very much develop that, you you know, that intentionality for themselves ahead of embarking upon this. And then fundamentally clients come for three different reasons. Number one for healing, right? So PTSD, depression, anxiety, sometimes OCD, we don't work so much with addictive. We will work with clients that are clean now and had them in the past, although that is still more challenging work. And number two is growth, growth and creativity, right? So expanding consciousness, people like I'm doing really good, but I want to be doing better. And then the third is of course, spirituality. people who want to reach and sustain higher levels of consciousness so that they can connect more deeply to their higher self. And in relation to that, often connect to their higher purpose. I think that all of us are here with very unique gifts to give. And I think we're, again, in an exciting juncture collectively, because more and more people are waking up to the fact that, oh, it's not really how can I minimize the input to maximize the the output that I can get? It's the other way around. It's what are my unique gifts and strength that I feel really called from the heart to give out into the world. And then of course, abundance is going to follow that because each and every one of us is such a special soul that has so much. And so we're making that transition now, which is is very exciting. And yeah, so when people do come to us, then answering your question, in essence, we tend to guide people on a more holistic journey. We guide clients in two ways. So one is a seven week approach where we go deep with them and helping them get clear on their future self. We help them surface their mental and emotional blind spots ahead of working with the medicine. And we also teach them tools um, that they can use during working with the medicine so that they are ready for the work because these are intensive experiences. And then we do typically a one-week retreat where we'll do three ceremonies or four ceremonies over the, that duration. It'll be some yoga, some meditation, beautiful vegetarian food, time for relaxation, journaling, maybe a massage here and there, cacao ceremony as well to close things, maybe a fire on the beach. And then we, we guide them in the integration as well. So we will help them consolidate all of the insights and guidance and help them understand how they're going to bring that back into their reality, because a lot of our clients are busy people. So, you know, they find themselves back in the office in 10 days later or something like that. And they're like, okay, how do I combine these two worlds? So some guidance in terms of integrating that experience and putting some things in place to continue to improve the elevation of consciousness and ultimately to continue the improvement of uh, the human experience
1: what's the danger of forgetting or like you say that person is back in the office and there's I suppose a conflict between what they know about themselves from what they've learned versus who they were before and who they need to be or should be in the office. Does that haunt a lot of people?
2: I get that question quite a bit from clients because pretty often our clients are feeling pretty good about where they are in life, right? They want to go further, but they're like, there's a bit of like, I've got everything in the way that it should be. (laughs) And, And I always tell them I can't make you any promises, right? Either in relation to the experience first and foremost, or in relation to what you may do, and what changes you may introduce to your life as a result of this. We had one client who was uh, a IT executive. He was running three companies and cybersecurity and very well connected in Silicon Valley. And um, he did two retreats with us. He went one at the end of his first retreat. He said, I've cleared 50 years worth of shit in 10 days. He was back with us in a couple of weeks doing another retreat. And, and then he moved to Kauai and bought a sailboat. Uh, And he bought an old car and he's having the absolute best time of his life. And he's given up hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue with his company and everything like that. And he's never been better. You know, they go straight back into their grind. They've had a powerful experience, but they're already on their path and they don't want to change too much. And and so there is no right or wrong answer. It really depends upon the experience that people have, the downloads they get and where they feel called, where they feel is most closely alignment to their, to their purpose.
1: So in a way it's almost like you're (laughs) reconciling your inner world and your outer world and deciding for you, you know, maybe you've increased your awareness of your inner world, but maybe the outer world is still where you need to play or
0: be.
2: Absolutely. And in relation to that, it's all about manifestation. So when we we try to teach our clients how to establish the vibration of what they want to attract in their inner world. And then the universe is already conspiring in order to, because it's magnetism, right? It's one of the fundamental forces of the universe. And so once we've achieved the vibration of what we'd like to attract, then the universe is already putting things in place energetically in order to bring those into our field. And that's something I would have cringed at and laughed at five years ago. And (laughs) it probably only would have come from my mother. And I would have told her, mom, I love you, but please, like just enough. And that's just fundamentally how it works we're creating from the inside and so once we've achieved the right the vibration that's 90 percent of the work done
1: I love what you said there Jonathan because I can just imagine and I can imagine you meeting some of your colleagues and it's nothing for them I mean even I know plenty of people myself included who might be skeptical about all of this so like what was your turning point or your calling if you can share that what happened for you that that
2: was it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. What you've said just reminds me of a question I've been asking all of my old mentors, and none of them can answer this question. And it highlights the fundamental problem, which the question that I ask is, what's the one thing that if you had it would make you truly happy, truly fulfilled? And these are smart people who are used to answering or used to answering hard questions and used to asking very smart people, very hard questions. And so when you see their eyes roll back and they can't answer that question honestly or they'll say something flippant that doesn't actually relate to themselves like world peace, then what that evidences to me is that we're we're disconnected from our higher selves. We've never actually asked ourselves that question. Who am I? What am I? Where am I? When am I? What would give me joy? These are such fundamental questions that we just don't ask ourselves because we're so busy in the outside world. And so I guess for me, I just reached that point where there was something missing and I, I was always in intuition up until that point i was always i was always actually scared of committing to a relationship because i just felt like there was something missing i was out there always reading all the books in relation to what's going on in the rational world avoiding the spiritual because i just had no evidence that such things existed and so that was really what it took for me was just recognizing that There was not going to be this uplift in incremental joy. And then through my journey, once I was able to release some of the childhood trauma that I didn't know was there, and these things were manifesting in my character in terms of anger, frustration, that itch, that knowing itch that something's not quite right, but I don't know what it is. And so once I was able to release those things, I got the message very powerfully. I'm like, ah, part of your role here is to bring bring people to these transformative experiences because you've made some mistakes along your journey working with these medicines you can guide people towards medicines and experiences that are going to have a profound and lasting impact versus just taking psychedelics which is obviously not the intention
1: Mm. and do you enjoy this
2: i do (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's it's Behold Retreats was kind of founded out of, as I shared, my motivation to help people find the good stuff. But what I'm really excited about, and I'm hoping to find actually a CEO to take over in the not-too-distant future, and I want to actually begin to consult governments on this subject because there's a lot of people who are pounding the desk for legalization and that's all good, but there's a certain energy to pounding the desk and people with red hair and piercings, et cetera, are not necessarily going to be the ones that get the ink uh, on the paper in terms of signing things into law. So one of my big motivators is actually to work on behalf of government, not to push legalization, but actually just to educate, right? Edu- raise education in relation to the subject without any sort of agenda in terms of, hey, you should legalize this because it's good, because that's just not really in their interest, but just to help them understand this and also to you know, collaborate with in-market HR and cultural management firms that understand the local context so that these experiences and this understanding can be contextualized for an individual country, because obviously we've all got our own traditions and perspectives and sensitivities that bear a strong relationship to the nature of this work.
1: Yeah, and drugs, because at the end of the day, it's classed as a drug. They have a bad reputation. And whether it's Narcos Mexico or whatever. I mean, I was talking out with my friends a while ago that I grew up with in 70s and 80s, rural Ireland. And drugs on the TV It was, I guess it was public health messaging. Basically, the message was, if you took drugs, you ended up on the street, homeless. And that was it. Your life was over. You were a drug addict. No one talked to you. You were the scum of society. And that's not my view. That's not what I'm saying. But this is what was drummed into us. And so that conditioning is really, 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 really strong. And for me to do something like this would take a lot of effort. I mean, drugs, they were just out. And so now you have huge drug problems like oxytocin and all of these things in the States as well. So how do, you, how do you separate them?
2: Yeah, great question. And there's a few fundamental questions that I think are helpful in relation to distinguishing. And actually, I think The Economist did an incredible article on this, which is looking at, I think it's the top 20 substances and the amount of harm that they cause and whether they cause harm to self and whether they cause harm to others, which is also a useful lens through through which to look at these things. And alcohol and tobacco are one and no surprise. And then down the list, if I remember correctly, I want to say it was things like amphetamines, cocaine, and all the way down the list. And then towards the bottom of the list was a few of the psychedelics. So I, I remember LSD and psilocybin being there. MDMA also had a relatively low risk profile, although it is neurotoxic. So it's not good for the brain. You can still have very powerful and positive positive profound experiences with MDMA, you just wouldn't want to do so on a regular basis. And it also does have addictive potential. In contrast, when we're talking about psychedelics, number one, they're non-addictive, right? So you don't wake up from one of these experiences and think, let's go again. I mean, you may do, but these are powerful medicines. They do a lot to our neurochemistry. And I've definitely never had that, that drive in terms of like going again the next day. So that's one aspect. there are people who do develop an addiction as kind of an escape mechanism, right, which is what drugs ultimately are. So that's unfortunate, but it's a very small percentage of the population that develop that. And then, you know, there are the other benefits. And so I guess the the fundamental question I would always ask is, does this thing bring you closer to yourself or is it bringing you away from yourself? Uh, And I think when we look at a lot of these drugs, right, tobacco, alcohol, it's actually, it's bringing people, even caffeine, it's bringing people away from themselves rather than towards themselves. Whereas these medicines are bringing people closer to themselves. It's developing their sensitivities within and raising their vibration, right? What the medicine is is fundamentally trying to do is to harmonize, connect, reconnect and harmonize body, mind, heart, and spirit to a single vibration, right? And so when people speak about these transcendent experiences that are possible, Universal love, interconnectivity of all things, God consciousness, all of these life creation, these mystical experiences that are well documented in the clinical trials, fundamentally, that's what's taken place is that the body has achieved a single vibration, and then it's moved up into, you know, a a higher vibration and into mystical states of consciousness now that's something that's obviously temporary and you come down from that but again you've had the light shown and now your job is to walk the path back in that direction and release all of those things that you are not so that you can re-reach these states and this understanding through meditation and in every day and ultimately drop meditation so that every day and every moment is your meditation wow
1: i mean that sounds so peaceful and calm as well for me that's what i feel when you speak like that but it's interesting what you say because I know my brother has tried ayahuasca a number of years ago and he said to me it's a thing that helped me kicked me into gear to face my fears it's all about letting go and connecting with our deeper selves important stuff
2: absolutely that's beautiful
1: yeah, isn't it? And that's what you're saying. I mean, I think he's had it a couple of times and I definitely know his life is going in a different direction, but he also does mindfulness and meditation and, and so on. But what about people that just try this without going to somebody who can perhaps guide them correctly?
2: Even with very qualified healers. And I, if you're working with the top, I'm gonna I'm going to be really elitist. If you're going to work with the top, like one or 2%, of healers, they are so talented that these experiences become more deterministic in their positivity. Beyond that, and I've worked with a pretty broad variety, no healer on any given day with any given medicine is going to give you any sense of what's going to happen because they don't know. And so I say that to be fair to people definitely with a medicine like ayahuasca, absolutely doing it with the best guide that you can find. Like that is my utmost recommendation. But even that being the case, these experiences can still be very, very challenging. You do want to remove as many of the unknown unknown as you can, which there are many, you don't even know how many there are, but there's a lot, and I still don't know how many there are because I'm not a a talented healer. I'm lucky to have talented healers on our team that continue to educate me, but there are so many things that are happening on so many different levels across mind, body, heart, and spirit as we go through one of these experiences. So would very much encourage people to take the time and the energy to really educate themselves so that they're able to make high quality decisions. One of the things that I always point out is that if you go to any of the retreat aggregator websites, what you'll see is that universally, these retreats are rated as five stars. So that tells us a couple of things. One, people are having positive, profound, potentially life-changing experiences. Number two, people have no idea what good looks like. And the degree of variability in the quality of work that's out there is mind-boggling. And so, yeah, just really encourage people to find the people who reflect the energy that they aspire to ultimately. And to make sure that you're not just clicking on some website, seeing some nice photos and and booking now. Speak to a human being, make sure that they understand who you are and that what they are offering is aligned to where you're at and that they've managed people from your sort of circumstances before. And fundamentally, you just feel really comfortable um, going and spending time with them.
1: Hmm. You would say that about anything, really, I think, wouldn't you? Whenever you're trying to improve or do something for yourself, or even just go to a doctor or a dentist, you want to find someone you can have a relationship with that you're in connect with on the right level. And you don't feel like they're talking down to you or using you.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's another aspect in this is a lot of people, they are inclined to encourage their clients to establish a dependency upon them and that's also a real a real no-no because all the answers are here And this work is all about empowering the individuals and arming them with the tools and the understanding to continue to do their own work not necessarily taking ayahuasca at home in the kitchen but but to continue doing their own inner work by themselves
1: your website has wonderful resources i must say i we'll put like the the website in the show notes and everything but to help to start educating yourself if it is something you're interested in in looking into there's you reference ted talks you have articles there was an article with a journalist maybe the one you mentioned earlier on which is really really a great article i think the ted talk i listened to which is a guy called rick doblin who mm-hmm. i think he's trying to get fda approval for for some psychedelics but He says by the year 2070, he believes that psychedelics and psychedelic assisted therapies will have penetrated mainstream culture enough to create a spiritualized humanity that psychologically well equipped enough to solve our seemingly intractable crisis and the environmental destruction and economic inequity. I mean, that's their huge claims But surely, in a way, the only way we are going to fix our planet and resolve a lot of issues is by having some sort of, whether it's a spiritualized humanity or a better understanding of humanity. So, I don't know, is it a pipe dream?
2: I think I'm more optimistic than Rick. When I saw that number, I think he also tied to 2017, like a trauma-free world, right? And uh, so when I read that, I was like, man, that's 50 years away. And what I see is that, you know, a lot more people are tapping into the very special skills that they have. So when we're talking about things that I never could have believed, things like clairvoyance, things like energetic healing skills, you know, all of these Uh, capacities that I would have laughed at years ago, people are tapping into that. And once they do tap into that, they become very motivated to help. So I think we're in the midst of that becoming mainstream. In the last two weeks, there's been a front page article on the New York Times and the New York Post on psychedelics. And so I think there's massive mainstreaming. I think... (laughs) (laughs) You were probably referring to uh, Have a Good Trip, which is the the documentary on Netflix, right? And so it's moving very quickly in that direction. The shortcoming is actually, I think, just how many people can we develop in terms of the energetic skills? Because that is so fundamental to this work. What we try to do is there's kind of two models for this work at the moment. One is the, shall we say, the Western model. And the other one is the ancient wisdom traditions. And there's some differences between them, right? So in the Western medical model, what they're doing is you do two therapy sessions before, then you do psychedelic assisted psychotherapy for three hours. You have two therapists there, dot, dot, dot. Then you're left for a few more hours. Then you go home, a few more therapy sessions. That's in essence what they're doing for the clinical trials. So really good on the mental and emotional stuff. They're giving people medicine and then they're helping them work through their stuff. And then some more mental and emotional stuff they have no idea what they're doing on the energetic side of things, right? So there's no, whether we want to call it shamanic healing or quantum healing or energy work or removing lower level energies, transmutation of energy. There's many ways to describe what energetic healers are doing, but that's so fundamental to this work. Now, in contrast to that, we have the ancient wisdom traditions and you would think, okay, well, certainly they have all the answers. They've been doing this for thousands of years. And the answer is, to a large degree, yes, they do and they have. However, the context in which they typically do this work is very different than a Westerner flying down from, you know, London or from uh, New York and going and doing an ayahuasca retreat for a week. The trauma that they're bringing and the context that they're coming from is very different from an Indigenous community, right? So these Indigenous communities have been doing this work for hundreds if not thousands of years and so they don't carry intergenerational trauma in the same way that we have so we have much deeper stuff that we're often coming with and so we actually need a lot more of the mental and emotional work to help us prepare for these experiences sit through one of these experiences and to help us integrate it once we return to our everyday life because unlike those indigenous communities we're not spat back out into a village where we've got all of our uncles and aunties and we're having group dinners and that's not the life that we live right we live in our own house with single family units and often not even multi-generational so we we live a very much more separate or disconnected sort of life and experience and so what we're trying to do with behold retreats is very much to bring together the best of both worlds right so how can we make sure that people have the tools and the mental and emotional understanding of where they're genuinely at ahead of the medicine work there's likely to be some challenges in relation to that during the medicine work. And then how do we help them integrate that while also benefiting from the you know, energetic healers that are there at, at our retreats?
1: And we talked about energy earlier. And I often think about it as, as, as the ripple effect, I suppose. The, the energy that we put out into the world is reflected in pretty much everything we do. I experiment with this like by walking down the street and smiling at people. And Love it some people will smile back i even had people saying hello to me in london one day as i was walking around smiling (laughs) but often people don't and i guess we are all on this continuum as well aren't we of maybe feeling that our outer world is somehow responsible for our inner being and feeling angry with the outer world for not feeling happy inside and i guess that is our responsibility. And I think a lot of us don't believe that it is our responsibility to sort ourselves
2: out. Absolutely. That's the whole paradigm between victim, perpetrator, and savior. And all three of those points on the wheel are not the right place to be right and we've had a few clients that are stuck in the victim mindset we generally screen them out we do our utmost because actually the amount of work that's required when people truly believe that the problem is on the outside you're actually working against those clients and i'm not saying those people don't deserve to be helped they absolutely do we want everyone to be operating at the highest level but just the amount of energy and they just need a different container than what we typically provide so we we tend to work with clients that are already in the flow of self-improvement if they're really stuck in that the world is out to get me and and poor little me like that's it's yes this work can absolutely help those people and the science definitely supports that it's just that they need a lot more of the mental and emotional attention in order to get the most out of this work
1: the word that keeps coming to me as we're talking is is surrender i mean there's an element here of surrendering the ego, surrendering the fears, surrendering, that feels quite frightening, I suppose.
2: It is. You know, there's a conference I attended last year that was uh, titled Dying and Living. And the whole concept is exactly that, that you need to surrender your ego and have your ego death, right? What we often refer to as the, the dark night of the soul, which I think is a misnomer. It's actually the dark night of the ego, I think is a much more accurate description. And so then it's the beginning of the soul rather than the soul first, ego second, rather than the other way around. And that is, you know, fundamentally, that's a, that's a transition, quote unquote, attainment, a point to an experience that we are looking to have ultimately through this work is completely surrender the self and in that moment it's it is scary right because you actually believe that that's it for you that you are going to die and to a great degree psychologically the small self is dying so that your higher self can um, come to the fore and so surrender is the perfect word in our course i always encourage clients like unless you have a an intention that is so strong that's like already come to you and you know what it is start with surrender because There's so much social programming. There's so much trauma. There's so many limiting beliefs. There's so much structure. There's so much over identification with the mind, right? A large part of this work is just simply returning the mind to its rightful place in the hierarchy of self. And it's not at the top as we think it is so commonly. The spirit is up there at the top. And once we've connected with the spirit, then everything else will fall into line. And there's these moments of clarity where every bone, every muscle, every cell, and every essence of your being is in full alignment and you can go okay this is what it means to be human and these are words that you won't find in the front page of everyday news and to be able to experience absolute divinity and to know that that's your essence is something that i hope that every human being can experience during their lifetime because there's just simply no coming back from that and Being able to, even in those moments of doubt and fear that still do persist, um, in those moments, we can always reconnect to that deep understanding of, of what we truly are and recognize that this is just a stage where life is convincing us to pay attention to the outer world. And this is just a stage for the play of life to unfold. And we can engage in it in a much more exciting and interesting way once we have that recognition.
1: Wow. And what came up there for me is infinite possibilities. I mean, that's really what you're talking about in a way. And even if you think of the world of work, so many of us go to work from the head up. And we believe that that's all we need. We we place such emphasis on our brain being so critical and crucial to everything or our mind when actually connecting with the rest of you opens you up to infinite possibilities
2: absolutely and that's and that's what the universe wants right so whenever we see things that are designed to constrain universe is is just consciousness itself expanding in infinite possibilities as you said in infinite directions. so there's no good and bad right my perspective of like good and bad and judgment and all of these things have shifted so entirely, completely. And it's just consciousness exploring itself and experiencing itself, individuating, potentializing in the infinite possibilities. It's not random permutation. It's just expansion and exploration for the sake of that very same thing. And so to recognize that not only that, but we are part of that single thing. And the the mind itself is just, the brain is just a modulator for consciousness. So the matrix of consciousness that each of us has is just a filtering device. And so the thoughts that we're having, it's the filters that's getting caught, right? It's the the negative self-talk, the, oh, I shouldn't have done this, or I'll never get in good shape or all of that stuff. That's just your filter. And so the moment you change your filter, thoughts will change. And so not only that, but then we can rejoin the collective consciousness and recognize that holy we're all just one thing and again coming back to sting maybe i'm going to start to treat other people a little bit differently maybe i'm going to start to treat the planet a little bit differently because this is the same organism it's not a different organism
1: you're part of me not apart from me
2: love that love that
1: and that's amazing thank you so much a lot of what you say there about even shifting perspective one of the wonderful things for me about having a podcast is the guest obviously is speaking to people like you and other people and I think perhaps you're the person that has challenged my thinking the most (laughs) because when you originally reached out I was like oh I don't know if I want to talk to a guy about psychedelics (laughs) and I had to look at that side of myself and ask myself well what's the blockage here and for me I mean, I've tried hypnosis, I've tried meditation, mindfulness, all these things, but I've not done psychedelics. And now I'm thinking maybe that will be next. So thank you, because it's all about opening our minds. And you asked what if you knew what's going to truly make you happy or what's your purpose. For me, my purpose, I believe, in life is helping people to challenge their thinking and that's what this podcast is about i'm not telling anyone how to think but hopefully by listening to this conversation and others something drops into your consciousness that helps elevate that consciousness so thank you so much jonathan for the opportunity to speak with you and for hearing your story today
2: yeah thank you susan it's been such a pleasure and such an honor thank you so much
1: you're welcome and now how does somebody connect with you if they want to know more?
2: Yeah, come check us out on uh, behold-retreats.com or at behold underscore retreats on Instagram. And unlike other companies out there, you have to speak with a real human if you're interested in doing uh, an experience with us. So if that's of interest, hit the apply button and you'll speak with either myself or one of my team and uh, we can take it forward from there.
1: Fantastic. And again, thank you for your time this morning. And well, for you, it's afternoon or evening because you're out in Thailand. And uh, I'll put all of those details
0: in the show notes.
2: Beautiful. Have a blessed day, Susan.
0: You too. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you know who would enjoy it too. I believe we are all entitled to enjoy our work. And the future of work life will be changed by those who put people first and create more fulfilling work lives for themselves, their colleagues, their teams and organisations. If you have any suggestions for topics you'd like to have covered, guests you'd like to hear from, or questions for me, please drop a line to susan at beyond And finally, please consider leaving a review.